Hi, I'm Sandra Buchanan. I welcome everyone on Iron Sharpener. Hi, I'm Sandra Buchanan. I welcome everyone on Iron Sharpener today. We are here live in New York. Glory to God. We are on Facebook. We are on www.ironsharpener.net. And we are on YouTube and Vimeo. I welcome everyone. Um, thank you for listening. And for those who will be watching the show and listening to the audio and podcast later, thank you so much. Today we have a great guest, Dr. Mankash. He's not a stranger to Iron Sharpener. He has been here before board certified physician, retired. He is really amazing. He's very, I mean, the man is just uh, so wise, full of wisdom and very uh, uh, music side of him. Um, he will talk about that at the end of the show. So we're just so grateful for what's going on in this show. Today, we're going to talk about nutrition. It is a very large topic. Last week, he came on the show and he spoke about nutrition, the how important it is to eat right so we don't get affected with diabetes and hypertension. And you go over some foods that we ought to eat last week and all that great stuff. So today we're going to continue on the topic of nutrition and some of the things that he's going to go over are like sugars. He's going to talk about fats, the good fat, the bad fat, and stuff like that. So I'm just so excited because nutrition is a key. Good nutrition is the key. Health is the key because we have to take care of our body and eat right and exercise. And if we don't do that, then we'll have everything will begin to break down. So I welcome Dr. Mankush. Um, Dr. Mankush, I welcome you on Iron Sharpener. How are you today, sir? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Glory to God. So are we going to go on commercial break? Um, I'll just release Dr. Mankush to speak. Go ahead, sir. Um, okay. Well, I'll do, you know, if you tell me when I can, I can start uh, a little chat here. Yes, you can start. Okay, first of all, I welcome uh, the uh, uh, audience, um, and I am grateful to Sandra for the opportunity to address uh, people regarding uh, and talk to people, interact with people about this huge subject of nutrition. I welcome any questions that people have, uh, again, uh, general questions as opposed to specific questions regarding an individual's own problems, which I am not medically, legally uh, capable of doing on this program. So having said that, uh, nutrition is a big subject and there are many different aspects to cover. I think the fundamental issue uh, in nutrition uh, at this point is uh, obesity, diabetes, 
And so that remains uh, a major public health issue uh, throughout the world and particularly in the United States and developed countries. Uh, and the issue is why are people gaining more weight and why is diabetes uh, become an epidemic? I don't think anyone knows the full answers, but I will say that uh, historically and significantly at this point, sugar remains the major concern. And uh, to understand that is to understand uh, human physiology. And it turns out that neuroscientists have discovered that when we eat sugar uh, and it gets into our bodies after we digest, after we ingest it and it comes in our body, the uh, part of the brain uh, that responds to the presence of sugar uh, is a uh, part of the brain that deals with comfort. And comfort is something we all want, pleasure and comfort. So sugar ingestion uh, satisfies the part of the brain that gives us a sense of satisfaction and comfort. And we all want that. So uh, that is how things evolved. Thousands of years ago, there were no cakes and cookies and ice cream, etc. There might have been some berries for uh, pre pre prehistoric or primitive man, but for the most part, there were no sweets as we know them. So the evolution of sweets and the diet in the United States has evolved probably over the last 100 uh, years. And when you look back historically and the amount of sugar that people were consuming uh, years ago, uh, it was much, much less than it is today. Uh, sugar uh, and salt are two additives that are found in almost everything that people eat. Uh, and so uh, you may or may not be aware, unless you read ingredients carefully, about the degree to which the foods that you're consuming is laden with this stuff. And so that becomes a concern because you are what you eat. And what you eat uh, depends on your appetites and your surroundings and your genetics. So many factors play a role in what we eat and why we eat what we eat. And so uh, that uh, remains the concern we have uh, is uh, the consumption of sugar. And uh, when sugar gets into the body, insulin, which is produced in the pancreas, is a hormone or a chemical messenger which takes the sugar that we've consumed and drives it into the fat cells and into the muscles where it's used and into the brain. Uh, so the part of the, a lot of parts of the body depend on sugar, mostly the heart and the brain. However, the body is such a re remarkable structure that if we don't have sugar, uh, we can, uh, the parts of the body that are crucial to our well-being, our brain function and our heart function can live off other things like ketones, which are substances that are produced in the absence of sugar that help to give some nutritional benefit. And you've probably heard about the keto diet, which is a diet that is basically very, very low in carbohydrates, rich in fat. And this diet uh, is designed to give us calories uh, without the, uh, without the, how should we say, noxious effects of sugar. So uh, most people just eat what they eat. They don't really look at labeling. Uh, if they started to look at labeling, they would notice uh, hidden sugars in many, many foods, breakfast cereals, crackers, cookies, bread, 
etc. Uh, so bread uh, has some sugar in it, some breads have more. Uh, and these are things that are essential in being able to educate yourself about what kind of foods you really want to consume. Uh, one thing historically that people should be aware of is that in the 1960s, and it wasn't discovered until approximately 10 years ago, a, a lobbyist for the sugar industry, uh, I can't remember the full name, I think it's the National Sugar Council, uh, basically came up with the premise that sugar was okay for you, fat was bad. And for those who are old enough, you might remember in the 1970s, the idea was to be on a low-fat diet. And all the foods that were made then that dealt with uh, nutrition dealt with trying to eat a low-fat diet. But the real culprit was sugar. And the National Sugar Council, or whatever the lobbyist group was called, did know that. And they actually paid off uh, researchers from as august institutions as Harvard to claim that sugar was fine for you. It was fat that was not. And this uh, information was not discovered until the last 10 years when it was exposed uh, that there was a scam going on by the sugar industry. So for many, many years, the American public was misled about sugar and thought sugar was okay. And now we're at a time in the nutritional industry where sugar is the scoundrel and people are now recognizing that sugar is not a good thing. Uh, sugar and sweets are part of an arsenal of foods that are pro-inflammatory. And so when we think about uh, human disease, diabetes, heart disease, disease of the blood vessels. We think about uh, the effect of the um, inflammatory process that's going on. So thinking of, for example, your barbecue grill in the summer and you want to get the coals to light up, you go over and take a barbecue fuel uh, substance, in a, usually in a can, and you throw that on your charcoal briquettes, you light a match, and everything lights up. Same thing in the human body. So consuming sweetened foods inflames the body. And the body's response to inflammation is usually uh, regarding the blood vessels. The blood vessels get damaged. We have an increased amount of hardening of the arteries, which can cause heart attacks and strokes, poor circulation to the body, and of course, the circulation is what keeps us going. So the blood vessels are diseased and the blood doesn't get to where it's supposed to go. This affects our overall health. So the main issue in today's world in nutrition is the inflammatory state. What can we do and how can we live to reduce inflammation? And what are the things that increase inflammation? So we know sugar and sugary foods increase inflammation. Let's take an example like fruit juice. Uh, many years ago, fruit juice was felt to be okay. Uh, in the morning, you'd have your glass of OJ, and that was felt to be a good thing to drink. And so uh, over the last 50 years, people have consumed huge amounts of juice. Their kids drink them, they drink it, and they're thinking that they're doing something well for themselves. Uh, the fruit juice has a sweet taste because fruit has sugar in it. But it turns out that one glass of orange juice 
has over two teaspoons of sugar. Uh, and most people are not aware of that. So thinking they're thinking that they're doing something good for themselves, but they're not. And I personally recommend avoiding all fruit juice, uh, all 100% avoidance of fruit juice. Lemon juice may be used as a cooking ingredient, but I would definitely recommend to young families that they not give their children any kind of fruit juice because all they're getting is liquid sugar. Uh, and again, I do not recommend that. So that is an example in the American diet of something that at one time was thought to be good, but is not really good. And so history continues to evolve. Our, our taste buds stay where they are, but our understanding about the impact of what we're eating on our health continues to grow. And so something that we thought it was good last week or last year or 10 years ago is now felt to not be good. And so uh, people who pay attention to nutrition and its impact on the body uh, should be aware of these things as they continue to grow. And so uh, as people put on, uh, should put sugar in, uh, the fat cells uh, in our body, and we are born with a certain number of fat cells, they store fat. And so sugar encourages uh, through hormones and various biochemical mechanisms, the storage of fat and the fat gets stored in the fat cells. And so the dangerous part in nutrition is the fat around your organs, your internal organs. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror and you look at the, uh, you wish the, the, the tire, uh, the bubble tire around your waist, uh, you might say, is that the fat you're talking about? No, it's not. It's not fat you can see. And it's not even fat you can feel. It's the fat that's on the inside of the, on the outside of the organs, uh, your intestines, your stomach. That fat, uh, fat is not a dead thing. It's a living thing. Those fat cells are producing chemicals, hormones, uh, and those hormones and those chemicals do affect you. And so it's important to recognize that the fat cells are continuing to produce substances that are not in our best interest. And that's why it's important to recognize the connection between ingestion of sugar and fat. And so as the fat cells get full of fat, uh, we generally may see some external weight, but what we don't see and what's dangerous is the fat around our internal organs, our stomach, our intestines, call large intestines, small intestines. Uh, if you would open up a human body and look at it as a surgeon does when they cut someone open, everything all the organs are covered with a layer of fat, like a tablecloth. So there's a tablecloth of fat around the organs, and that's called visceral fat. So the concern is that visceral fat uh, produces uh, dangerous substances which inflame the body. So my point in telling you all this is there is an incredibly complex relationship uh, in the body between these different organ systems, the fat cells, and uh, inflammation, the heart, the blood vessels, everything is connected. And uh, Western science attempts to analyze and dissect all this so that we can make sense of it. But there's so many complexities and interrelationships that we don't fully understand uh, about how these different organ systems interrelate and how they affect us. Uh, and I hope that gives some people some introduction to a very complex subject about nutrition and weight.
So how does one attempt to lose weight? Well, uh, there are hormones, ghrelin and leptin, which are substances that are produced by the body. Some of them stimulate your hunger and some stimulate your satiety that you get full and you don't want to eat anymore. And so uh, the pharmaceutical industry has tried and so far failed to come up with uh, medications that will enable one to feel full on limited food intake and not be hungry. And so far, that has been an elusive goal. Uh, so no drugs out there that accomplishes that fully, that turns on your satiety and turns off your hunger. And uh, anyone or any company that comes up with something like that, that doesn't have bad side effects, is going to make a lot of money. And you can be assured that the pharmaceutical industry is doing everything it can to try to come up with substances like that that people can take. Uh, there are some new drugs that are out there for the last several years that have attempted to uh, improve obesity. Uh, one of them is loragritide and semaglutide. Uh, these drugs um, are out there, S-E-M-A-G-L-U-T-I-D-E or L-I-R-A-G-L-U-T-I-D-E. They're administered by injection. Uh, they're used for diabetes, and they also are used to treat obesity. They turn people's appetite off, and they help to burn fat. And so currently, uh, these drugs are used to some degree, but most doctors don't prescribe them. Most patients don't want to take them. There are some side effects with them, but they have been shown to reduce weight by up to 10% in a number of people. So the pharmaceutical industry is busy working on um, the ideal drug, which would be an oral drug that you take, turns off your appetite uh, and uh, turns on fat burning. And that so far has not been achieved. We must recognize that the fat that we consume and the sugar that we consume, which is converted into fat, not only increases the fat in the fat cells and increases inflammation in the body, which then turns on dis diseased blood vessels, but the fat also accumulates uh, in the liver. And so one of the major areas of concern in terms of human health is what's called fatty liver, a term that I assume uh, some people in the audience are aware of. Fatty liver means that the liver, which is the major biochemical factory in the body that does so many different things, uh, the liver cells get overloaded with fat. And as the fat cells accumulate in the liver, uh, the liver cells respond generally by becoming inflamed. Once they become inflamed, they can become scarred. So one of the consequences of obesity and increased sugar in the body is not only visceral fat around the organs, but fatty liver. And fatty liver can silently, without any other symptoms, go on to scarring and then on to uh, the worst form of liver disease is cirrhosis. And as you get cirrhosis, you have a scarred liver. The liver can no longer work the way it should. And the symptoms of that vary, including fatigue, uh, mental confusion, uh, problems with circulation in the body uh, are some of the symptoms, uh, disturbance in the blood, blood clotting. And then worse beyond that are accumulation of fluid in the belly, ascites, varicose veins in the esophagus, which can bleed. So cirrhosis is the worst form of liver disease, and cirrhosis, among the causes of cirrhosis, 
the most common used to be alcohol and uh, genetical genetic reasons um but and hepatitis uh, hepatitis b c and d chronic hepatitis can go on to cirrhosis but unfortunately over time or fortunately depending on how you look at it those causes of liver disease are going becoming less the case as uh, the pharmaceutical industry has developed drugs to kill off the various forms of chronic hepatitis but so far now the major cause of uh, liver disease uh, is fatty liver and that of course is brought on by dietary issues and lifestyle issues so we are facing an epidemic uh, of fatty liver in this country and that de is determined by looking at the blood tests on the liver function although they can appear to be normal and the liver can be fatty and then there's a test called the ultrasound where a uh, special device is applied uh, with usually some uh, gel on the abdomen and uh, images the liver and uh, if the liver has excessive fat it will appear on the ultrasound and then uh, that will be read by the radiologist and the report is given back to the doctor years ago fatty liver was felt to be really nothing to be concerned about it was just reported occasionally by the doctors who were some doctors more thorough than others but nowadays fatty liver is reported whenever it's seen and what one does with fatty liver depends on the doctor the specialist consultant etc uh, i think fatty liver is definitely a major health concern and will continue to be a concern as long as we have diabetes and elevated blood sugar in the diet more and more people will have fatty liver which will result in uh, chronic liver disease scarring of the liver and go on to cirrhosis which will uh, basically uh, not do good for people's lives so my message today in this regard is to be aware of your sugar consumption and uh, be aware of the diet and its role in what you're consuming uh, when you eat your food we know that insulin is released in response to the presence of sugar in the diet uh, and we do know that the few things that can lower the blood sugar is exercise so when you go out and you exercise even a little bit of exercise is good the exercise itself will low, lower your blood sugar and help the sugar in your bloodstream get into the muscles so that's an important good thing uh, about what we can do to counteract the effect of sugar and obesity is to exercise and as one may or may not know many americans just are couch potatoes they don't do much in forms of exercise even getting up and doing a 15 to 20 minute walk several times a week if not daily is something that can help the body not only in terms of reducing blood sugar and improving the uh, transit of sugar from the bloodstream into the muscles but it also helps your mental functioning helps you think clearer helps you reduces the level of depression and anxiety and those are all important so when you look at this whole thing you see as i have mentioned earlier the interrelationships of the various uh factors that play a role in our health also the microbiome the bacteria um, dr mancas before you go into the microbiome of that we want to take a commercial break because i do have uh, questions about the medication that you said the curb fat and um 
we want to know like where to get that is it just prescribed so let's go into commercial break and then we'll be back with questions thank you welcome there's a few businesses i want to announce if you're in the atlanta georgia area and you need an automobile a used automobile you want to contact gmd auto automart gmd automart and the number is 678 751 1431 678 751 1431 GMD Auto Mart. Used cars are available. Glory to God. If you are in the upstate New York area and you're looking for properties, you want to connect with Win Morrison Realty all the way in Catskill, New York. And you want to connect me, Sandra Buchanan, 518-267-9181. 518-267-9181. If you want to buy land to build new projects, if you want to sell your property, you want to buy commercial multi-units, if you want to buy storage units, whatever way you want to invest. Now is the time. It is a seller's market glory to god so i will be your agent upstate new york downstate new york glory to god you want to connect also if you're in the upstate new york area and you need a seamstress you want to connect with leela smith she does dressmaking tailoring seamstress she alter men and women clothing she also do um custom made if you need have fabric you want to make a fresh outfit she does that if you're out of state you could ship your measurements and the fabric to her she will get it done her name is lila smith and her number is 518-653-0600 again 518-653-0600 if you're looking for a caterer for caribbean dishes you want to connect with caribbean kitchen and the number is 518-653-3764. 518-653-3764. Caribbean Kitchen. She does catering if you're having a party or an event and you need some delicious Caribbean meals. You want to connect with Margaret Ryman at Caribbean Kitchen. If you need your car to be detailing like brand new you want to connect with dorian ryman and auto rhyme car detailing auto rhyme car detailing and his number is 518-653-3764 if you need a tax preparer it's tax time you want to connect with Celia graham in hudson new york and her number is 518-821-5164 Again, 518-821-5164. Sela Graham Tax Preparer. Glory to God. If you're looking for a home church to go to in the Hudson, upstate New York area, you don't have a place where you go for fellowship, you can fellowship with us at All Nations Church, Hudson, New York. It's at 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. And it's right in the Bagel Time Plaza on Fairview Avenue. Our worship time is 3 p.m. every Sunday. 
3 p.m. every Sunday. And we have a Bible studies every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. And we also have Bible studies every Thursday night at 7 p.m. So come and fellowship with us at All Nations Church. It is glorious. Glory to God. If you are in the Hudson, New York area and you're looking for a day spa, Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa, a spa like no other. Serenity Wellness Day Spa is also mobile. We could come to you for spa parties. You may be looking for a gift to buy a loved one, a friend, a mother, father, a whoever it is. We sell gift certificates. They're on sale for Father's Day, for Mother's Day, for Easter, for every occasion. Gift certificates are online at Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa.com. Again, Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa.com. A spa like no other. It's in Hudson, New York. Glory to God. And the website is www.serenitywellnesscenterdayspa.com. Hi, welcome back to Iron Sharpener. Glory to God. For those who are watching, we are live on www.ironsharpener.net. We are live right now on www.dfwigospel.com. A big shout out to Mr. Tyrone all the way in Texas at the radio station. We are live on the radio station, dfwiradio.com. Thank you, sir. You've been a blessing. A big shout out to Mr. Randall, all the way in Hudson, New York, my engineer, videographer. Praise the Lord for him. Uh, we are on the show today with a board certified physician, Dr. Jeff Mankosh. I thank God for him. And he's talking about a big topic that we need to know about nutrition. Nutrition is something that we need. It's a, our lifestyle to live healthy, to live um, to stay strong, to to prevent our bodies from getting a breakdown of disease and infection. So last week we talked about diabetes and hypertension, and it was powerful. If you want to see that video, you could check um, www.ironsharpener.net. It's on Iron Sharpener Facebook page and also on Iron Sharpener YouTube page. Today we're still talking about nutrition and we talk about sugar earlier, and we talk about a um, certain type of medication that will curb your appetite so that you don't feel hungry. And then you went into liver fats, what's it called? Fatty liver. Fatty liver, yeah, fatty liver. So I'm gonna release the doctor again, and we just came on commercial break. So he could tell us again the medication who is prescribed for this medication? Do you have to have a certain type of weight to get it? What insurance cover it? The side effects and stuff more, just more in depth have to about this uh, medication. Then he's going to go back into liver cells. One question also, doctor, I want you to talk about is the fact that you know about the gastric bypass surgery and the, the sleeve where they uh, shrink your stomach and then you, eat small amount of food. Um, sometimes I notice that some people get back the weight. And then if you don't work out your fat, your muscle, you don't, you lose muscles, you know, you want the toning. 
So I go back, sir, and talk about those medication first. Thank you. Well, I think that, uh, as I've said, the holy grail for the pharmaceutical industry uh, is to come up with medications that are going to counteract the effect uh, of obesity and to counteract the development of obesity. So the pharmaceutical industry is trying to come up with medications that a person can take. The ideal medication would be something you take by mouth uh, with no side effects that would accomplish the goal of weight loss by turning off your appetite and potentially even turning on your metabolism. And that's basically what most of the pharmaceutical industry dealing with obesity and uh, diabetes is looking to develop. They have so far been unable to do so. Uh, there have been uh, medications uh, out there for years looking at uh, attempts to curb appetite and reduce obesity. Um, and uh, one can spend hours going over the list and history of these medications. Uh, Fenfen is one that people might remember that was out about 10 years ago, but had a number of cardiac side effects and was taken off the market. So uh, within the last 10 years, there's been the development of new medications, so to speak, that have attempted to counteract obesity. And the medications that are currently being used in that regard, and again, the pharmaceutical industry continues to try to come up with new ones, but the ones that are most actively being used uh, by some doctors are loraglutide, L-I-R-A-G-L-U-T-I-D-E. The trade name is Victoza, V-I-C-T-O-Z-A, uh, also called Saxenda, S-A-X-E-N-D-A. So that's one drug, loraglutide. And the other drug is semaglutide, S-E-M-A-G-L-U-T-I-D-E. These are both glucose, uh, glucagon, uh, peptide. Okay, uh, can you repeat those uh, um, slower, low, slowly, repeat slowly these meds so that I, we could write it down, sir? Okay, well, um, just bear with me here a second. Uh, they are, loraglutide is the generic name, L-I-R-A-G-L-U-T-I-D-E. Uh, it is marketed as either Victoza, V-I-C-T-O-Z-A, or Saxenda, X-A-S-A-X-E-N-D-A. The other, even more popular drug is uh, a um, derivative of that drug called semaglutide, S-E-M-A-G-L-U-T-I-D-E, also called Ozempic, O-C-E-M-P-I-C, or Wegovy, W-E-G-O-V-Y. These are drugs that work on glucagon, which is a hormone produced on the bottom body. Uh, they are glucagon agonists, and they help the body uh, work with glucagon to help and reduce your desire to eat food and help your fat cells burn uh, their fat storage and help you lose weight. Uh, they so can, how can you get this medication? Uh, is it a medication available through, through a uh, prescription by your doctor? They have some side effects. Uh, they should be carefully uh, looked at by the your treating physician uh, as to whether or not they're appropriate to use or not. Um, the uh, dangerous side effect uh, is uh, a certain potential development of thyroid C-cell tumor, which is a malignant tumor of the thyroid gland. 
and uh, so one should be aware of that with respect to thyroid issues in patients who take the drugs. Uh, the uh, other effect, effects uh, potentially of concern are swelling, kidney issues, and pancreatitis, which is inflamed pancreas, gallstones, um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or constipation, a headache, gastroenteritis, dizziness, so fatigue, abdominal pain. So there are many side effects of these drugs, uh, and the list goes on. Uh, nevertheless, they have been successful. If you look at, uh, you go to the internet, you talk first and foremost to your doctor that you want to lose weight, you've tried different means, uh, are these drugs available? One thing to know is that either liragrotide or semaglutide are require injections. They are not available orally. So you have to take an insulin type of syringe uh, and you have to inject yourself. Uh, as I recall, I think they come already pre-drawn up when you get them. So you don't have to necessarily do anything. As far as I know, they are available uh, and you can as a pre-drawn syringe, and then they basically uh, are available to you uh, in a, a drawn-up form in a syringe, and the dose is based on your weight, uh, and um, you can get them, as mentioned, through the uh, through your pharmacy. So that's uh, what these drugs are about, and uh, they're generally administered once a day for a week, then increasing gradually over a period of time. And as I said, up to 10% of your body weight can be lost by taking these drugs. But again, uh, you may have to stay on them forever in order for that weight loss to be sustained. So if you stop taking them, the weight may come back. Um, Do you have like have to have certain weights in obesity to take them or you know, you do you have to be over a certain amount of pounds? Well, the, you know, the current definitions are um, being overweight, body mass index, which is a measure of your height and weight that your doctor can uh, figure out for you. And so if the BMI is between 20 and 25, uh, you are okay. Over 25, you are considered overweight. Over 30, you are considered obese. Mm. Currently in the United States, one can estimate that the number of people who are overweight or obese is probably in the vicinity of around 75%. So out of every 10 people, seven and a half people are either overweight or obese. And that number continues to go up. Uh, and that's very disturbing uh, in terms of trends in healthcare. What's going on with our population? We're getting fatter and we're becoming lazier, and we do less in terms of movement. Uh, and so when you're younger, going out and walking and jogging and running and swimming are things that you may enjoy. They rev you up. They give you energy. But as people get older, it seems that they don't want to do very much of that. And so uh, that is a concern. Uh, the issue of weight loss and exercise has been around for a long time. So if you exercise, do you lose weight? And it seems that the answer to that is it generally does not help you lose weight, but it helps you tone up, improve your mental status, yeah. your functioning, 
reduce the ability of dementia and confusion and Alzheimer's. So exercise in and of itself is not going to make you lose weight, but it does improve your overall parameters of health. Uh, and that's something to be aware of. So there are many experiments looking at whether or not if you run, jog, or whatever physical exercise you do, will that help you lose weight? And the answer remains that it's the old calorie formula. Uh, what you eat and the calories you consume uh, versus what you burn and calories that you lose, that is what makes you lose weight. Uh, so you lose weight uh, if you uh, burn up more than you consume. Uh, and that remains the formula still in place. Uh, the exercise helps to improve your overall functioning it may allow you to potentially burn somewhat more calories but you'd have to do chopping wood for like 10 hours straight to lose any substantial amount of weight for example if you were to exercise vigorously uh, for 10 hours you might lose the amount of calories uh, consumed in a brownie or two cookies so it's interesting and sobering to think that exercise in and of itself uh, which helps you burn off calories is uh, substantial enough to really cause a change in your weight and so many people are disheartened they say well i don't know if, how much exercise do i have to do and will will my weight go down and that remains at this point elusive uh, doctors recommend exercise for the reasons i've mentioned improved mental functioning improved toning of your skin your muscles and helping you stay well but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose a substantial amount of weight. Uh, and s some people just don't feel that exercise is worth the effort. Uh, and that remains a concern. But the point in all this is that the doctor and the nurse practitioner or the physician's assistant who's seeing the patient needs to key into the issues of nutrition. And for many, many years, nutrition was not a subject that most doctors learned about. And even to this day, nutrition is only something that the public, uh, by virtue of the media, uh, asks the doctor or the uh, healthcare provider about. And hopefully that will change. It helped in my life, I moved from doing procedures and uh, colonoscopy, endoscopy, and other procedures I did on patients for over uh, close to 40 years. Uh, and I moved into the direction of lifestyle and nutrition because I felt, felt and still feel that these are crucial to the maintenance and health of the body. And so uh, when people came to see me, I would always go over what do you eat? Uh, what kind of foods do you consume when you go to the supermarket? What's your lifestyle like? Do you sleep well? We know that poor sleep will affect your metabolism. Uh, what kind of foods do you eat in terms of fermentation? Are we eating foods that are rich in the microbiome, the bacteria that help your, your body function well? All human organisms have bacteria living in them. Not all bacteria are bad. Some bacteria are good. And we have some of those good bacteria living in our gut every single day. They help us. They uh, basically inform us about things. We're not aware of them in form, in the form of them talking to us directly, but they talk to us indirectly. And so the microbiome is the term that's used to describe the billions or trillions of bacteria, viruses, and parasites that live with us. And most people don't know much about them. 
and most doctors don't know much about them, but they are important. So taking an antibiotic, for example, if you have a, if you get an antibiotic for whatever reason, that antibiotic that you take by mouth or injection is going to change the population of bacteria that live in your gut, not for days or weeks, but for months or years. That may not be to your advantage. And so uh, we try to eat fermented foods. Fermented foods are foods that are that contain within them the processes of fermentation, which is metabolic processes that usually break down sugars and convert them to substances that are a benefit. And so uh, we are basically, most doctors in the know and nutritionists recommend that people consume increased amounts of fermented foods. What are they? Things like yogurt, kefir, which is a thinner yogurt, uh, sauerkraut, cold, unprocessed and raw, uh, tempeh, which is a fermented soy product that's made in Indonesia and available in the United States for many years. Uh, and these are a kombucha tea, which is a kind of fizzy type of tea that's sold in health food stores as a drink. Uh, that's another fermented food. And so these fermented foods should be consumed in increasing amounts. While another one is uh, the kimchi, which is basically fermented uh, Napa cabbage, which is the national food of Korea. Uh, it can be spicy when you buy it in a jar. Very few people make it at home unless you're Korean. But uh, kimchi has these good bacteria. If you eat these foods in your body, you help to nourish these bacteria, and they may help you function better. And so uh, over the last 10 years, there's been increasing interest in the medical community, and particularly among individual patients, about consuming fermented foods and improving the bacteria that live in your gut. And so that's another uh, aspect of nutrition that people are interested in. Uh, and so we're going to hear a lot more about fermented foods, the microbiome, as we begin to understand the relationship between these bacteria and viruses that live in our body and how they affect how we think, how we act, our nutrition, our health, etc. But we're still at a very primitive stage in our understanding of this very complicated subject. Uh, we know that uh, human history has shown that over many years, uh, primitive cultures have incorporated these uh, fermented foods uh, by uh, shamans and by me medicine men and people in the back little uh, in back uh, uh, roadside uh, clinics in uh, underdeveloped countries or poorer countries. They have often relied on these types of foods uh, in their cultures to help people do well without traditional Western medication. So there's something to be learned about these, uh, if you wish, fermented foods from folklore uh, and learning about them and incorporating the good things that are in them in the Western diet to improve our functioning. And uh, that is an important aspect of what will happen. But I predict it will take years for the pharmaceutical industry, which is always trying to make money, to find out what is it about fermented foods that helps the body. And I'm sure that a lot of work is being done in that regard to come up with the magic bullet. Uh, and who knows if that will ever come about. But what you can do in the meantime is become an educated consumer. And as Cy Sims, who used to own a series of, uh, of um, boutiques in New York said, 
and, and our best customer is an informed consumer. So the individual has to inform themselves about the things I've just spoke about. It's taken me many years and a lot of personal research in terms of studying this and reading about it to begin to understand the complex nature and interrelationship of all these various components in our human health. And most doctors don't have the time and perhaps only some of them have the interest in exploring this with the patient. If you only have 15 minutes to go over issues with your doctor, how much uh, time it's going to be spent to go over what I've just done, uh, I don't really think it's a very commonly uh, explored subject between the patient and the doctor. I think it should be, and hopefully doing personal reading, talking to other people, uh, watching podcasts, broadcasts, uh, and watching some media looking on the internet to learn about this will help you to uh, shape, shape your body and your mind uh, better and help you become a better uh, person to yourself. Because after all, it's self-respect and self-esteem. If you respect yourself and you respect your body, uh, then hopefully you will function better. You will hopefully keep your weight where it should be. Uh, and you will also uh, learn to eat foods that will nourish you like a plant, like a tree, like a flower. You want nourishment to help you be the best person you can be. Awesome. That's powerful. Dr. Mankash, do you want to go through the next 30 minutes because time runs so fast and it's very interesting but well, the floor is yours i wonder if there's anybody who has any questions that would like to ask me something i would be more than willing to answer that on the I, broadcast i, I asked them yeah. to text their questions we can't have them over the phone anymore um only they to text through the the platform but i haven't seen any questions but they did tell me ahead of time they had asked about weight loss which you covered with the medication and they asked about food, the different foods to eat, and you did go over that. So you're you're answering the questions as you go. You know what I'm saying? But on the air, okay. on the air, I asked them to test questions, but um, but I get personal I, I, will, I will say um, that I have personally lost about 100 pounds of weight in about uh, 15 to 20 years by uh, being much more careful about my diet. You are what you eat. So when my wife and I go to the supermarket, uh, everything we buy is analyzed to the extent possible. Uh, there's a whole science of food, as I mentioned on the broadcast last week, which is the taste buds, uh, what things turn your taste buds on, what kind of foods you want to eat. Everybody's different. What appeals to one person doesn't appeal to other people. But we do know that the sweet tooth remains a universally desired uh, uh, entity for almost all cultures. Even the Asian individuals uh, from Asia who traditionally didn't eat that many sweets, now with the import of the American culture and the way that we eat in this country, uh, this has become a major issue. And so we see that even in Asia, uh, where people traditionally thinner and smaller there's been an increasing rise in obesity. Same thing in Latin America, uh, Mexico, where people were generally fairly medium to small stature. There's been an increasing rise of obesity 
in Latin America, Mexico as an example, because people are eating foods that are not necessarily something they were brought up with or they learned. But again, the sweet tooth is the king, so to speak. And once you bite into the sweet tooth and you eat the donut, the cookie, the cake, the chocolate, the ice cream, uh, it satisfies something deep inside the human psyche and you want more of it, not less of it. And the food industry is out to maximize the addiction of human beings to foods that are going to satisfy that uh, sweet tooth, that comfort zone, like a, like a mouse pressing on a pedal uh, in an experiment to try to give it more pleasure. Uh, and so how does one turn that off? Uh, and how does one turn on good things? That's a challenge. Most people don't want to hear about things that they should do to make them feel better. Only some people do. Uh, and many people react when doctors or health practitioners tell them how they should live. They don't like that. They want to live the way they want to live. So it requires a lot of education and a lot of commitment on the part of the individual to go beyond uh, the ordinary and to change yourself and develop yourself. My late mother said, change is something which is very, very laudable, but very few people have the willingness to change. We all have the capacity to change and to develop ourselves beyond uh, how we are at a given time. But the challenge is how do we incorporate those change in our daily lives? And that remains the issue. Uh, and I think that's important. So going to the doctor should be a time when there's an interaction between the patient and the doctor, the patient wants to know what the doctor has to say, and the doctor should ask questions about the patient, uh, to the patient, how do you live, how do you eat, what is going on with your daily life, uh, and, the, and the patient should be asking the doctor, how can I improve my overall health, what can I do to uh, improve my health, doctors learn from patients, and patients learn from doctors, that dynamic is very essential, to the continued growth of um, the uh, health industry and health in general is for all of us to interact in a positive way to improve uh, our human condition and make us into better people. And that requires uh, ethics and honesty and commitment to an overall ideal of improvement. And uh, that is what I think is essential in keeping people well and getting them better and keep keeping illness and disease away from them. So, go ahead. Any questions, doctor? Um, in terms of protein, protein shake, if somebody is working out and um, they need protein. Well, as, as we get older, we know that uh, the human being, uh, protein is a type of nutrient that is part of the structure uh, of, uh, of any organism. Uh, there are proteins that are structural, like your hair, your bones, uh, the various tissues and the, or the organs. Uh, they are made up of protein. And protein comes from amino acids. So a protein is a macromolecule that is comes about by the attachment of amino acids together. There are 21 essential amino acids, which are uh, substances that we can only get by consuming them. Our body doesn't make them. And so uh, over the years, it's been discovered as people begin to unravel the mystery of obesity uh, and staying well, that protein 
may help the body stay well. And so there's an increasing interest in how much protein, first of all, what kind of protein should we consume? How much protein should we consume? Generally believed to be approximately a milligram per kilogram. And when you think about that, uh, and you think about the protein content in the foods that we eat, um, then you may have to be eating a lot of protein to reach your desired amount based on these uh, standards that are recommended. So for example, a cup of yogurt may have 15 grams of protein. And if you need 100 grams of protein, you would need something like eight or nine cups of yogurt to consume a day, which is an extraordinary amount. So then you look at protein sources, for example, uh, your animal protein, steak, fish, uh, and your, your dairy products. These are the major sources of some nutritional protein. Uh, plants have protein as well, but uh, animal foods have more protein than uh, uh, plant foods generally, than the quality of the protein. How good are these protein substances? That's essential as well. So uh, many people are consuming shakes with protein in them and various other substances to try to increase their protein consumption. If you eat more protein, uh, similar to fat, you'll get you'll get full faster and better, and so you'll perhaps want to eat less sweets. Uh, so there's a big push uh, in the um, dietary world to consume more protein. And so when you read the labels on your foods, they generally require uh, the FDA that the uh, information on the con food content become available to you and then you figure out how much protein you need, or you ask the doctor that you see, or the health provider, how much protein should I be consuming a day? And then you can work out, if you're willing to, how much you should be consuming. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Also, um, sometimes you're on the go, and you're work, you, you exercise. Protein shake, they would recommend for breakfast, a protein shake. And of fruits. What you what? What are your thoughts on shakes? I, I really don't. I, I I don't know enough. I know my daughter. Our daughters take protein shakes every day, but whether or not those protein shakes are truly good for you, I can't say. So I will tell you uh, in all honesty. I don't know if they can, if they basically contain the protein they say they do, then it should be beneficial. For example, pea protein, protein coming from peas. Are, is one of the latest sources of protein in the diet. And a lot of the shakes that I see that my kids consume have pea protein in them. So uh, the industry, the food industry, is always looking uh, for making money and also trying to come up with hopefully some of the industry may be conscientious and have good consciousness and try to develop foods that are good for you, that are nutritious and protein has nothing bad about it. Uh, you may have to limit your protein intake if you have kidney disease because you don't want your kidneys to be overtaxed by excessive protein, which may result in problems with the metabolism of the protein and production of, of the end products of protein metabolism, urea uh, and creatinine. So you have to be aware of how much protein, if there are a limit in your protein intake. But most doctors will tell most patients 
that they can eat as much protein as they want. As we get older, uh, the protein uh, consumption uh, generally goes down because people's appetites go down, their desire for sweets and carbohydrates go up. And so the older individual doesn't consume generally the amount of protein they should. And that's where you need to work with a nutritionist and or a physician or a healthcare provider to tailor make a diet that satisfies your need for protein consumption and your overall health. Okay, I want another question. Um, belly fat, I want you to go through the fat cells and also the food to stay away um, that cause obesity in the, you know, the middle area, belly and the, the foods that helps to burn the fat cells in your belly um, and also foods that will like we just do protein, build your, your muscles. We're going to take a commercial break, doctor, and we'll be back with these questions, okay? Okay. Thank you. There's a business I want to announce. If you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area and you need an automobile, a used automobile, you want to contact GMD Automart. GMD Automart. And the number is 678 751 one four three one six seven eight seven five one one four three one gmd auto mart used cars are available glory to god if you are in the upstate new york area and you're looking for properties you want to connect with win morrison realty all the way in catskill new york and you want to connect me sandra buchanan 518 Two six seven nine one eight one five one eight two six seven nine one eight one. If you want to buy land to build new projects, if you want to sell your property, you want to buy commercial multi units, if you want to buy storage units, whatever way you want to invest, now is the time. It is a seller's market. Glory to God. So I will be your agent. Upstate New York downstate new york glory to god you want to connect also if you're in the upstate new york area and you need a seamstress you want to connect with leela smith she does dressmaking tailoring seamstress you alter men and women clothing she also do um custom made if you need have fabric you want to make a fresh outfit she does that if you're out of state you could ship your measurements and the fabric to her she will get it done. Her name is Lila Smith, and her number is 518-653-0600. Again, 518-653-0600. If you're looking for a caterer for Caribbean dishes, you want to connect with Caribbean Kitchen, and the number is 518-653-3764. 518-653-3764 Caribbean Kitchen She does catering if you're having a party or an event and you need some delicious Caribbean meals you want to connect with Margaret Ryman at Caribbean Kitchen If you need your car to be detailing like brand new you want to connect with Dorian Ryman at Auto Rhyme Car Detailing 
auto rhyme card detailing and his number is 518-653-3764 if you need a tax preparer it's tax time you want to connect with Celia Graham in Hudson New York and her number is 518-821-5164 again 518-821-5164 Celia Graham tax preparer glory to God if you're looking for a home church to go to in the Hudson, upstate New York area, you don't have a place where you go for fellowship. You can fellowship with us at All Nations Church, Hudson, New York. It's at 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. And it's right in the Bagel Time Plaza on Fairview Avenue. Our worship time is 3 p.m. every Sunday. 3 p.m. every Sunday and we have a Bible studies every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. and we also have Bible studies every Thursday night at 7 p.m. so come and fellowship with us at All Nations Church it is glorious glory to God if you are in the Hudson New York area and you're looking for a day spa Serenity Wellness Center day spa a spa like no other Serenity Wellness Day Spa is also mobile. We could come to you for spa parties. You may be looking for a gift to buy a loved one, a friend, a mother, father, a, whoever it is. We sell gift certificates. They're on sale for Father's Day, for Mother's Day, for Easter, for every occasion. Gift certificates are online at serenitywellnesscenterdayspa.com. Again, Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa. Dot com a spa like no other it's in hudson new york glory to god and the website is www.serenitywellnesscenterdayspa.com welcome back i also want to announce uh, a business that is one of our port patreon shout out to jay's cuisine all the way in Hudson, New York, if you're in the Hudson, New York area. He does catering and he delivers meals to you at your doorstep. His number is 518-965-1926. 518-965-1926. You could also look him up on Facebook. J Cuisine. Glory to God. They sell different type of meals fish chicken all type of different drinks it is wonderful so bear that in mind juice cuisine 518-965-1926 okay we are back with dr mankash board certified physician and we're on the topic of nutrition and it has been very powerful impactful good information if you want, please subscribe on our YouTube, Facebook, share, subscribe this page with everyone because it's very important to take care of our health. And the question was asked about belly fat. What can we do to reduce belly fat types of foods and to reduce what to eat and so forth? So Dr. Mankash, back to you, sir. Well, I think that, uh, again, going back the uh, to... The, uh, one of the pr pr primary concerns in human health and in taking care of people and people being taken care of 
again, is nutrition and things that are of interest that are being explored is the relationship of food and mood, food and mood. So how does what you eat affect how you feel? Uh, this is a subject of increasing interest and uh, is being explored by various researchers. Uh, and uh, in our current world with all of the various issues that are at hand, the wars, the uh, diseases that are around, uh, people's psychiatric and psychological state, uh, people will wonder, well, are there certain foods that will make me happy? Are certain foods that will make me sad? Are there certain foods that agitate me? Are there certain foods that will sedate or calm me down? So this is an active, an area of active interest uh, that's being explored. I don't think anyone has anywhere near the answers that they should have or that we'd like to have, but I see this as a uh, future interest uh, on the part of nutritionists, psychiatrists, psychologists, and physicians and allied health professionals is learning about the relationship between food and mood. Uh, we know that exercise uh, theoretically should make you feel better. So after you've walked and done some aerobic exercise, theoretically, your level of stress should be reduced. Your level of anxiety should be reduced and your level of happiness should go up. Uh, we are currently in an epidemic of depression and anxiety, particularly among young people, uh, and this is a concern. Uh, another issue that affects nutrition is um, obviously disease and particularly tumors and cancer, the relationship of nutrition and cancer. We know that uh, colorectal cancer, of which I was a uh, specialist in, the rise of colorectal cancer among young people under the age of 50 has been considerably uh, a challenge over the last years, and it's now recommended that, if possible, many insurance companies will improve that will approve a screening colonoscopy for people under the age of 50. Why is there a rise of colon cancer, rectal cancer in young people? So some of that's been attributed to the diet, and particularly sugar-sweetened sodas like colas uh, and other soda pop. pop pop sodas, so uh, eating junk food, fast food, processed food, chips, and etc., and a lot of these snack foods, and drinking a lot of soda uh, increases the amount of bad calories going into the body, which may result in the processing of these bad foods in a bad way, and producing chemicals that may cause the cells in the body, certain areas in the body, to become cancerous. So that is a concern as well. And only some doctors address those issues when they talk to patients. And only some patients look into those issues. What should I be eating? What should I be drinking, et cetera? So uh, as far as consumption of beverages are concerned, I recommend water. Uh, the purer the water, the better. Then you get involved with how is the water consumed? Is it in bottles? And bottles are, are generally not glass anymore because they're too heavy. So uh, plastic bottles, what's the plastic? What type of plastic is there? Are there 
chemicals in the plastic that are leaching into the water. That remains a concern for individuals. We know that certain substances or liquids are beneficial with respect to weight loss. For example, green tea, black tea, chamomile tea have all been shown to be potentially useful in turning on your metabolism and helping to burn fat. So I usually recommend green tea to people who are overweight. A green tea has been shown to help to burn fat and suppress the appetite. Um, green tea has some caffeine, not as much as black tea. A green tea are the uh, raw tea leaves that are not processed. Black tea is tea leaves that are roasted. There's white tea, which are the young tea leaves. So tea is the most consumed beverage in the world. And tea is your friend. That is plain tea without sugar in it. Then you get involved with sweetening the tea. Stevia, sugar, uh, and other artificial sweeteners, honey, uh, and etc. The sweeteners that are added to the, the uh, beverage to make it taste better. Um, and that remains a concern as well, are these good things to consume. So I recommend that people consume green tea, uh, another tea, chamomile tea made from the chamomile flower. Uh, I've read recently uh, an article that suggested that chamomile tea may help people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes. And if you drink three cups of chamomile tea a day, spaced out throughout the day, it will not affect your mentation. It should not increase your level of anxiety like caffeine, but it seems to be able to lower your blood sugar. So for diabetics who want something relatively easy to do to reduce their blood sugar, I recommend chamomile tea. So there's something that you can buy. Chamomile tea is available in any supermarket or health food store. And there's another thing. So teas can be helpful. Uh, the Orient has India and um, Sri Lanka, China and Japan have been consuming tea for thousands of years. Coffee, coffee uh, consumption is, coffee is a very good thing to consume if it's drank black or with minimal, uh, with no sugar in it. Uh, and it is a potentially beneficial substance. It's been shown that the more coffee someone drinks, the longer they'll live. And so uh, that has been an interesting finding an inverse relationship between coffee consumption and longevity. The more coffee you drink, the longer you will live. Uh, and that's another interesting thing that's been happening. So coffee, which is basically made as a brew of uh, coffee beans that uh, are stirred, stirred with boiling water uh, and was discovered thousands of years ago by a shepherd in Kenya in Africa, uh, is now become a major uh, source of pleasure and uh, nutrition for people. But that, of course, is plain coffee or coffee with uh, little, if any, sweeteners or uh, whiteners. Uh, so that's another thing I recommend to people. They want to lose weight besides exercise and also um, consume protein in reasonable amounts uh, is the uh, consumption of coffee and tea. Uh, then we get involved with meditation, anxiety, stress, 
and their effects on the human body, the effects of the microbiome, the bacteria that live in, their, in our gut. What effects are they having on us consciously in terms of our level of consciousness of what we want to do, what we want to eat, how we want to live, who, which people we want to be with, or how much of those signals are something that we're even aware of in our daily life? Uh, are these bacteria that living within us, uh, we are their hosts. Um, they are living inside of us. They are our guests. So they're living with us. We're living with them. What effect are they having on us? And what effect are we having on them? This, these are all areas that I find fascinating, stimulating, and interesting that most people really don't think much about in their day-to-day -day life. They just go about doing what they have to do. And our hope is that with time, uh, the relationship between these various factors will be understood more and more in terms of their impact on how we live our life. Amen. Can you go over a little bit, touch about the, 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 the surgery? Where oh, you, the surgery, the gastric bypass. Well, and the yeah, th th this surgery goes back probably over 30 or 40 years. Uh, and the attempt is to basically use surgery in an attempt to lose the weight and particularly the uh, fat around your organs and the fat in your middle. Uh, and so uh, the surgery, the different surgeries have been done uh, and different attempts have been done. For example, one thing that was trying to be done, it's been reintroduced, is putting a balloon through a scope into the stomach. This is a collapsible balloon, which is inserted uh, through a catheter, through a biopsy channel of a scope it's inflated and it basically left in your stomach. And because it occupies part of your stomach, your desire to eat goes down because you still, you feel full because something is in your stomach occupying part of your stomach. So if your stomach is filled with this balloon, your desire to eat is less. And what you do eat is less because part of your stomach is already uh, filled with this particular balloon. Uh, this has been introduced over 30 years ago. Uh, there were problems with these balloons, but they're trying. Uh, manufacturers are trying to come up with better balloons that have less side effects in terms of getting blocked, uh, breaking down, and not working properly. So that is a non-surgical approach uh, besides medications to obesity. Uh, as far as surgical approach, the most common one is the gastric bypass surgery. It's the gold standard. And in that surgery, basically, you are disrupting the plumbing in your body and you are creating a uh, situation where the stomach is partly bypassed and the food goes from your food tube into your intestines. So your stomach and part of the upper part of your small bowel is not involved with nutrition and digestion. And in so doing, uh, you lose weight. And it's believed that the du duodenum, the first part of the intestine, plays a major role in the metabolism of blood sugar and to some degree fats. So by bypassing that part of the gut, you now have the foods that you ate that are passing into your intestine partly undigested and then go through your intestine and come out in your stool. And by bypassing part of your stomach and your intestine, you help to lose weight because you have less calories coming in. And that's the gastric bypass surgery. 
Uh, it has been the standard for years. It has potential problems with doing it and the problems uh, associated with the tolerance of it. Once it's done, you can't eat the way you used to eat. Uh, your consumption of carbohydrates uh, has is reduced dr drastically. If you eat carbohydrates and you've had gastric bypass, you'll get what's called dumping, where you'll have uh, high levels of carbohydrates that are not being digested properly, dumped into your intestine, and your insulin levels will shoot up and you'll pass out and get sweaty. So that's one of the concerns with uh, the gastric bypass surgery. Because of those concerns and because of some of the complications involved in doing this surgery on people, other techniques for doing uh, surgical techniques on obesity have come about. There's the sleeve gastrectomy, where instead of uh, removing uh, uh, or manipulating the plumbing, so to speak, you simply shave the stomach down in size, you reduce the, the balloon or, or the bubble, and you uh, cut the walls of the stomach down or shave them down so the stomach, which is a balloon actually, can't open up to the same degree it once did. By doing that type of surgery, you get full faster because your stomach can't uh, swell or, or uh, get large enough to accommodate the foods that you consume. So get sleep but gastrectomy uh, has, is replacing or has already replaced uh, gastric bypass surgery because it is safer, it's believed, has less side effect and uh, is technically somewhat easier to do. Uh, these surgeries initially were done by open resection. Now most of them are done laparoscopically where a scope, uh, a rigid scope is inserted in the belly button under surgery and the surgeon being skilled in these techniques visualizes these organs and does what's necessary with chopstick-like devices that are inserted through the abdomen with a camera looking in on these organs as the surgeon does the hookups the way they need to be done uh, to accomplish goals. Uh, you can lose potentially up to 30 to 40% of your being overweight. So if you're 200 pounds and you should be 100, 50 pounds and you've got 50 pounds extra weight if you lose 50 percent of that you've lost 25 to 30 pounds so theoretically uh this is surgery that may be beneficial and as a result of the weight loss and the reduction in the fat in the body a lot of the metabolic processes that have been deranged and disturbed return toward normal and that's the hope is that the person who's overweight will be able to function better also the psychological effect. If you have less weight on you, your clothes fit better. Uh, your relationship with your family and your friends changes. Uh, your self-esteem may improve, although uh, the negative takeoff is some people who lost the weight feel worse. They get depressed. They don't get the kind of recognition uh, inside or through other people that they hope they would. And instead of the surgery helping them, the surgery has caused them distress, whereas other people are very happy uh, in terms of their lifestyle, their self-edification, they feel good about themselves. So it's hard to predict how a given person's going to do if they have the surgery. Uh, what's the, the, doctor, what's the recovery time for the sleeve, the surgery? Uh, I think you'd have to ask a surgeon. I'm not a surgeon, so I can't say. I would estimate that it would probably take at least a month 
to uh, feel somewhat better. But again, that's a uh, kind of a okay. off the cuff remark. I, I don't really can't say the answer to that. Obviously, anytime you have surgery, you're always concerned about infection, right. a clot to your lungs. You have to get approved for this by your primary doctor who offers often sends you to a cardiologist mm -hmm. to have the that doctor, heart doctor approve the fact that you're going to undergo surgery and you need clearance, which is a method by which uh, all of the various factors, your weight, your genetics, your metabolism, the coexistent diseases that you have are all analyzed. In addition, again, a factor that's often played, not played a role much is expect psychology and expectations. What do you expect for the surgery? What do you think is going to happen to you? So a lot of that is generally left up to uh, people who work with the surgeons, uh, psychologists, nutritionists, who discuss those issues with the patient so that they have a realistic expectation of what might happen to them after the surgery is accomplished. You know, our world is very aesthetically oriented. How we look uh, affects how we feel and how we think, and how other people look at us affects us as well. So we are in a very visually oriented society, and that's a very important thing. Plastic surgery, et cetera, uh, is very important. It's uh, trumped all the time on the media of people undergoing plastic surgery, most of which is vanity surgery, to make them, quote, look, quote, better or good, so they feel better about themselves. Uh, um, and that's great. Um, doctor, one last question before we leave the broadcast. The time is up. Wow, powerful oh, one and a half hour we here on the broadcast. Red wine, that's a question because we heard studies have shown that a glass of red wine every day is good for the heart. But on the other hand, it's good. It has sugar in it. So do you recommend one glass? Well, I, don't, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. I mean, I will say that over the last 50 years, the consumption of red wine has improved uh, or has gone up simply because of what you said, the, the wine dilemma. So in countries where wine was part of the natural, national, um, how should we say, culture, uh, Italy, and uh, France, as an example, Portugal, uh, where people consume wine daily with their meal, uh, this was felt to be a good thing when you look at, at the statistics of sudden death, heart disease, etc. Uh, those societies that consume uh, amounts of some wine are believed to do, deal better and do better in terms of statistical analysis with respect to longevity, etc., than those cultures that don't consume wine. Then we get into wine, which wine? Red wine, white wine. So for years, it's believed that red wine, which contains certain things found in the skins of the grapes, uh, like resveratrol is one of the things found in wine, R-E-S-V-E-T-R-O-L. So resveratrol is believed to be a benefit. You can actually buy resveratrol tablets. So there's different red wines, many different types of grapes uh, are out there and wines are, are produced by the fermentation of these wines. So what is considered to be good? One glass, two glasses, three glasses? Should uh, a, per, a male consume more wine than a, a female? This remains uh, at this point not clearly defined. 
uh, then you get involved with alcohol addiction. Alcohol is a drug. And let's never forget that. Alcohol is a drug. Yes. So too much of anything is not good. Right. So what's, what's considered to be good? Uh, I think currently the thinking is a glass of red wine with meals once a day would be considered to be a reasonable thing to do. Is two glasses too much? Three glasses too much? If a woman drinks wine, is that the same as a man? Well, we know that women's handling of alcohol uh, is not the same as that of a man in terms of the way in which the woman's body deals with the metabolism of alcohol. So one glass of wine for a woman would be equal to two glasses of wine for a man. Uh, is that a good thing to do? And so that remains unknown. There's, of course, the whole wine industry, uh, and the wine industry promotes the drinking of wine as being a good thing to do. Uh, wine relaxes you. It has alcohol in it, and alcohol is a drug, so that relaxes you. You drink a glass of wine with your food, and you feel more relaxed, although, ironically, alcohol is a, is a depressant, and the more alcohol you drink, the more depressed you'll become. So there's a kind of interesting paradox in thinking about wine as relaxing you and at the same time causing depression. So yes. I don't think anyone has the full answer to that. Sure. Uh, alcohol increases the risk of cancer. Mm -hmm. So the National Institute of Health and the American Society of Clinical Oncology, which are two large groups that deal with doctors and deal with health and deal with new cancer, have recommended that alcohol not be consumed, again, not be consumed by adults, that alcohol consumption increases the risk of all cancer, colon cancer, stomach cancer, liver cancer, esophageal cancer. Uh, and so uh, you have that issue. Is alcohol good for the body, even in the smallest amount? I don't think anyone really knows. And who knows if we'll ever find the answer to that. Alcohol consumption has been around since man has been around for, th for thousands and thousands of years, people have consumed alcohol. So it's a good question. I don't think anyone knows the answer. I would say that most doctors will generally uh, err on the conservative and recommend that people consume no more than one glass of wine, generally red wine, per day. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, it does. And last one question just came in. Um, chocolate. They said dark chocolate is good. Well, dark is chocolate contains flavonoids in them, which are good substances that help uh, in dealing with metabolism. And so uh, when you look at foods that help diabetes, it turns out that dark chocolate uh, contains these flavonoids, which help uh, in dealing with your body's metabolism of sugar. But like, like anything else, how much is enough and when is it too much? So eating uh, a, half a, a third of a bar of dark chocolate would be considered to be the most, but most people eat more than a third of a bar. They eat a half a bar, they eat a full bar. Uh, and what does dark chocolate? It's generally a percentage of cocoa that exceeds 70%. Most milk chocolate fails, it's much less than that. So dark chocolate should be 70% or higher in cocoa powder. And a lot of people don't like the taste of dark chocolate. It's too bitter. It's not sweet enough. So again, when you go in to buy your dark chocolate, what kind of uh, percentage are you getting? And how much of it are you consuming? Do you sitting down after dinner and you eat a whole bar of dark chocolate? Do you eat three squares 
uh, all of that's on the serving size, which is printed on the nutrition label in the food that you eat. So that's another thing. The answer is, I think dark chocolate in a limited amount does help your blood sugar and helps you with diabetes if you're able to consume only a limited amount and you don't eat a whole bar. So like anything else, moderation is the key. Eating too much of anything is not good. I understand. Um, one last question. The questions are rolling in, so we have to have you back, Dr. Van Kush, on this broadcast. Why do we lose weight when our blood sugar is high? Well, why do people lose weight when their blood sugar is high? Is that the question? Yes, when it goes up, you know, above 200. I'm, Does it cause weight loss? I'm not sure about that. I mean, one of the symptoms of diabetes, uncontrolled, is weight loss. So obviously, if you're peeing out calories, uh, because if your sugar is going up too high and your body is not using the sugar that's in the bloodstream, then it spills over into your kidneys. And then your kidneys uh, excrete the sugar in your urine. So you're losing calories by uh, losing sugar, which might have otherwise been used to nourish you. So if you have uncontrolled diabetes, and your blood sugars are in the three, four, five hundred range or higher, and a normal sugar should be less than 130. If you're consuming, uh, if you're having sugar out of control, uh, you can develop many symptoms. You can go into a coma, and there are different types of sugar comas that occur. And one of the manifestations of diabetes is increased thirst and peeing large amounts of urine because the urine is containing sugar and the sugar is pulling out water. So you pull out urine, uh, you're making very dilute urine, and you can get dehydrated, volume depleted, and you can lose weight because you're losing calories. And apropos of that, alcohol has some calories. It's considered empty calories. So drinking a glass of whiskey or drinking a glass of wine are calories. Yes, they are, but they're not good calories. So it's not believed that they're nutritionally beneficial to you. Again, moderation, and how many people are able to moderate their intake? Some of that is genetic. How do they grow up? What's the, what is the internal signaling mechanisms in their body telling them, this is enough, you had enough chocolate, or you had enough wine, stop. Uh, those are things that are very difficult to measure and define. How much, uh, how much are our behaviors determined by our mind? Now, what's determining that thing in our mind? Uh, what is it? Our genetics, how we were brought up, the conditioning, our culture, and also the microbiome, the bacteria. They're talking to you. Uh, how, are we listening to them? Are they are they overdoing their stuff and saying, oh, eat more, eat more, it's good for you. You like it, you like the taste. So these are various factors that play a role in the human being. And uh, all that has to be worked out. There's no easy answer to anything. We're all looking for easy answers. Everything should be black and white. But as you know, if you look at your hair, generally uh, everything is gray as we get older. Things are not clear. We have to work and discover this on our own. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Mancas. Um, for those who are on um, Iron Sharpener, thank you so much for joining us. We just spent one and a half hour with Dr. Mancas, retired board certified physician upstate new york we covered uh three parts of nutrition he will be back ne next month in may 
I'm hoping or June to cover another part of nutrition because it's such a broad and deep area to cover. We thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank you for being on. Um, uh, quickly before we end, Dr. Mankaj, do you want to talk about your show tomorrow? Uh, I love jazz very much. It's a very important part of my life. And uh, one of the things I did over the years was to collect photographs of jazz musicians. This gave me the opportunity to kind of have them in my life by looking at them. And jazz is a force in my life that's a very strong force. The beauty of the improvisation inherent in jazz, the beauty of the music, and the lives of the people who created the music. And uh, those all are important. So the photographs I took are uh, depictions of these people, uh, their faces, uh, and I've collected a number of them. Uh, this particular uh, exhibit I have is called The Jazz I Saw, and it's running until May the 7th, about less than two weeks from now, at the Claverick Library, C-L-A-V-E-R-A-C-K, which is outside of Hudson. Uh, there are 40 photographs that are shown. They're all impeccably framed black and white photographs. They're medium to large format. And they basically cover the uh, careers of musicians from the 1950s to the 2000s. Uh, there are about 40 photographs and about 35 different musicians shown. I think it's a powerful and beautifully done exhibit that uh, required the input uh, and help of a number of people who helped me do it. And I'm very grateful to those people uh, and the library, the Clavic Library, to allow me to show this. I'm looking for a new place to put it. If anybody uh, has a chance to come to see it, I think you'd be very impressed. It has a major powerful impact on a person, a quiet elegance when they look at the show and they look at the pictures. Uh, many of the pictures have URLs that you can put your cell phone to and watch an audio uh, presentation or video presentation of a given jazz artist uh, from the photograph and watch that as you look at the program. I'm looking for a new venue to put these 40 photographs. If anybody has some ideas, I would appreciate they let Sandra know uh, so that I can move on with the show. I'd like to show it in other places in the area. And I hope that gives you some uh, answer. Please come to the Clavic Library. Uh, the the uh, organization is open daily except for Sunday. And the hours are found on the website, www.clavriclibrary.org, C-L-A-V-E-R-A-C-K, library.org. And you can look at the hours that the show is open. Uh, there's a very nice staff. It's a very quiet, elegant place. You don't get hassled or bothered and nobody hits you up for any money or anything else. It's free and you're welcome to look at these pictures and remember jazz is America's classical music and America's musical gift to the world. Uh, so I recommend it to everybody. As the late saxophonist Albert Eiler said, music is the healing force of the universe. Music is a universal life healing force. So I recommend if you want to improve your overall being, uh, listen to music, and particularly jazz. It's a great music, and it will do a lot to sustain you, stimulate you, and inspire you. Amen. Thank you so much. I agree with Dr. Mankash. I went to the 
library, Claverick Library, one Saturday with two little kids. And you should see the history of all the jazz musicians, their quotas on the wall hanging up. And then it has a barcode on the photographs. And I scanned my phone on the barcode on YouTube. And it actually bring up their music video on YouTube when you scan the barcode and you hear the music playing, the instruments. And they're, I mean, it's African-American jazz players and it's just amazing to hear the talent and the gifting that they had and they serve America very well. So I welcome, welcome and I recommend everyone that's are in the Hudson, New York area to visit the Kavak Library and see um, the history of our jazz and musician players. And Also, if you go on YouTube, you can see a video promo. It's called The Jazz I Saw, which is the name of my uh, exhibit. If you go to the YouTube and you put in The Jazz I Saw, Klavik Library, there's a, a eight-minute video done by my neighbor, Lance Wheeler, from Channel 11 Cable News that will show you me in front of these photographs and uh, with beautiful music playing behind and you can see some of the pictures so go to youtube and look at the jazz i saw which is the name of the program at the clavic library i think you'll enjoy it a lot the jazz i saw and we will get that on our next broadcast so that we will show it for you dr mankash thank you very much sandra and thank you for your hospitality and your reception and your willingness to uh, allow me to uh, talk about the things I find interesting and hope that your audience will enjoy uh, what I had to say and uh, teach me and show me and uh, I can answer any questions that I, if I know the answer, I'll do my best. So if you give the questions to Sandra uh, in our next broadcast, I will try to answer them. Thank you so much, sir. You have been a blessing, a truly blessing to iron sharpener very impactful and powerful full of wisdom and it's priceless dr mancas we cannot pay you for what you have given us and for that the greatest, I, the greatest gift is the gift of giving yes and i'm very humble we are on this earth to give to each other and yes. to give each other so to me as a physician taking care of many patients over years the greatest gift is the gift of life of health happiness and making people feel wanted and loved. Amen. Thank you so much. And that's what Iron Sharpen is about, paying it forward, the gift of giving and sharing. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day, sir. You do right. For those who are on Iron Sharpener broadcast, thank you so much for tuning in today and Iron Sharpener. We'll be back next Thursday. Glory to God at noontime for another great topic from another great guest. So please stay tuned on Facebook and YouTube and www.ironsharpner.net. We will go on commercial break and I will see you next week. Have a great day. There's a few businesses I want to announce. If you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area and you need an automobile, a used automobile, you want to contact GMD Auto. Automart, GMD Automart, and the number is 678-751-1431, GMD Automart, used cars are available.
glory to God. If you are in the upstate New York area and you're looking for properties, you want to connect with Win Morrison Realty all the way in Catskill, New York. And you want to connect me, Sandra Buchanan, 518-267-9181. 518-267-9181. If you want to buy land to build new projects, if you want to sell your property, you want to buy commercial multi-units, if you want to buy storage units, whatever way you want to invest. Now is the time. It is a seller's market. Glory to God. So I will be your agent. Upstate New York, downstate New York. Glory to God. You want to connect. Also, if you're in the upstate New York area and you need a scene stress, you want to connect with Leela Smith. She does dressmaking, tailoring, seamstress, she alter men and women clothing. She also do um, custom made. If you need have fabric, you want to make a fresh outfit. She does that. If you're out of state, you could ship your measurements and the fabric to her. She will get it done. Her name is Lila Smith and her number is 518-653-0600. 518-653-0600 if you're looking for a caterer for Caribbean dishes you want to connect with Caribbean Kitchen and the number is 518-653-3764 518-653-3764 Caribbean Kitchen she does catering if you're having a party or an event and you need some delicious Caribbean meals, you want to connect with Margaret Ryman at Caribbean Kitchen. If you need your car to be detailing, like brand new, you want to connect with Dorian Ryman at Auto Rhyme Car Detailing. Auto Rhyme Car Detailing and his number is 518-653-3764. If you need a tax preparer, it's tax time. You want to connect with Celia Graham in Hudson, New York, and her number is 518-821-5164. Again, 518-821-5164. Celia Graham, tax preparer. Glory to God. If you're looking for a home church to go to in the Hudson, upstate New York area, you don't have a place where you go for fellowship. You can fellowship with us at All Nations Church, Hudson, New York. It's at 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. And it's right in the Bagel Time Plaza on Fairview Avenue. Our worship time is 3 p.m. every Sunday. 3 p.m. every Sunday. And we have a Bible studies every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. And we also have Bible studies every Thursday night at 7 p.m. So come and fellowship with us at All Nations Church. It is glorious. Glory to God. If you are in the Hudson, New York area and you're looking for a day spa, Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa, a spa like no other. Serenity Wellness Day Spa is also mobile. We could come to you for spa parties. You may be looking for a gift to buy a loved one, a friend, a mother, a father, a, whoever it is, 
We sell gift certificates. They're on sale for Father's Day, for Mother's Day, for Easter, for every occasion. Gift certificates are online at Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa.com. Again, Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa.com. A spa like no other. It's in Hudson, New York. Glory to God. And the website is www.serenitywellnesscenter.com.